Hello and welcome to Queering Eve, a spoiler-free-ish podcast about the TV show Killing Eve made by some queers. Hi, I'm Tamara and I'm the one who took a shower on company time today. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Hi, I'm Nina and I'm the one who is wearing a button-up shirt tucked into sweatpants. I thought this was relevant because fashion is a big part of this podcast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Naya and I'm the one who is so tired that I can't think of anything better to say. I mean, this will be a good identifier for you for this episode, maybe. <laughs> this was the the idea behind um, our introductions in the beginning, so... <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> Or at least that's how I <laughs> understood them as, because I always have trouble telling people apart on podcasts. Today we are talking about Killing Eve Season 3, Episode 3. This episode is called Meetings Have Biscuits. It was written by Laura Neal and directed by Miranda Bowen. So both of these, I think, are new names for us. Miranda Bowen, I do not recognize from anything that she's done previously. But Laura Neal did an episode of my Mad Fat Diary, which I think is exciting. And another thing that I watched is uh, she did an episode of A Secret Diary of a Call Girl. We start off with a great view, and we are in Andalusia. If I pronounce this incorrectly, please imagine me saying it correctly in your <laughs> head. Thank you. <laughs> My first note is, Nea and I both make a sound. <laughs> <laughs> this was our viewing experience, I guess. Yeah. Was it made... any specific sound? <laughs> it was... Oh, because <laughs> ah. it was very pretty. It was really pretty. We see this big house and we see a pool and then we go inside this house and we see Villanelle tinkering with a piano looking hot. She's pretending to tune the piano. She's also dressed like Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> hot. The lady who presumably lives in this house comes into the room and talks to Villanelle a bit. And after she leaves, Villanelle takes the tooting fork and goes to find that lady and kills her. Yeah, the tuning fork is a little blade. Wow. This is my least favorite murder of them all because I just don't believe that you can kill a person like that. Yeah, it's very silly. Looking. I really like this murder, but I also don't believe it's possible. The strength that she used for it, this could not go through the skull. So yeah. it's just through the skin. And yes, I mean, there is blood there. So maybe if... I don't know, she stayed that way, bleeding for a long time, maybe, but not in an instant she would not die from this, ever. I do like the idea of using this tuning fork to kill her, but, like, stab her somewhere else. <laughs> anyway, do we have the same problem with the next murder? <laughs> <laughs> no, that one's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after she kills this lady, she hears a baby crying, 
and she looks ready to kill. We get this scene where we're kind of afraid that she is going to kill a baby, but <laughs> instead she kills the nanny and takes the baby. She plays a little game with the nanny of, I'm gonna kill the baby, no, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill the baby. I wish this scene wasn't that funny, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is. I know that I didn't enjoy it that much the first time watching it because I was afraid of her killing the baby. But <laughs> when I knew that this does not happen and that this baby is used perfectly throughout this episode, uh, that made this scene just incredibly enjoyable. <laughs> then we move on to Carolyn's house. Wait, wait, wait. I just want to say, Naya, you were correct. There is no title sequence. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> just in the second episode of the third season. Yep. Why? I really think it's HBO's fault. I guess we did always watch it on HBO Go, so... But I also like the idea of it just being a quirk of episode two. <laughs> like, they, it was too short or something, so they added <laughs> that in. <laughs> <laughs> So we go to Carolyn's house, or more specifically, Carolyn's bath. How do we feel about that? I personally really enjoyed Carolyn doing her work from the bathtub. I respect it. I love it. It was funny. Mo and Eve, not so much. <laughs> I'm gonna say I hate this house too. It's but bad. I hate it less than Carolyn's previous house. I disagree. <laughs> I still can't tell the fucking difference. <laughs> <laughs> the same house, just extra rooms. This one has wood everywhere. Anyway, Carolyn and Mo are talking about Kenny's murder, which Carolyn is adamant about it not being a suicide. Yeah, we find out that the coroner's report, I think, says that it was suicide, so there's that. That there is no evidence of asphyxiation or internal injury. He fell from, like, sixth floor. How is there no eternal injury? <laughs> yeah. You know how bodies work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Eve comes into the bathroom and says, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out that Carolyn got the USB from the police. And then Jamie comes into the bathroom as well. <laughs> Which is also very comedic. This is a sitcom about Carolyn's life. Yes. Jamie isn't a fan of uh, continuing this meeting in the bathroom, so he leaves and Eve goes after no, him. No, Eve shuts him out. I don't think he has time to have an opinion. <laughs> okay. But anyway, then they continue this meeting at a table. They're bickering a bunch and then Eve makes a decision for all of them. That decision being that Carolyn will get the phone, Eve will get the USB, and that's how it's going to go. And Geraldine is impressed with this parenting. Oh god, Geraldine looked hot when saying this. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, the actual quote is... That is literally the most parenting this household has ever seen. It yep. is probably <laughs> true, yeah, I yeah. believe her. <laughs> also somewhere in here, I think Jamie like insults public schools, but I'm not sure because sometimes British people say insults that I don't get at all. So if anyone knows what the fuck he was talking about, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> do you want to promo us? You can do so either on Instagram at Queering Eve or 
send an email to our email account, queeringeep at gmail.com. Have we ever gotten an email? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't really open it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, wait, I do open it every once in a while and the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. But we did get some Instagram messages. Yeah. So. We were very grateful. Made us happy. Yeah. Are we ready to go to Barcelona? Uh-huh. Villanelle and Dasha are at a cafe with the baby. Ah! <laughs> the baby's very cute. The baby's clothes are adorable. It's mm. true. So cute. Do we think those are clothes that Villanelle bought for the baby? No. No, she stole them from the house, probably. Oh, because I really like the idea of Villanelle going to buy baby clothes <laughs> that she thinks would, like, look good with her outfit. And stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. It I mean, she does, it. Say, <laughs> she does say that, like, this baby is good for character building. So, yep. you know, just adding to that. Um, Sorry, just to be on brand, Villanelle and Dasha are eating bread and olives. And also Dasha, again, has the same huge bottle of alcohol on the table that apparently mm, yep. she just carries with all the time. Yeah, she is not the only Russian in this episode that just has a bottle of vodka next to her on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It is true that Russians drink vodka <laughs> often. They do not walk around with a <laughs> bottle of vodka generally. I will say that. So yeah, basically, we got Villanelle with the child, which is a gift, I think. But Dasha hates it. and Yeah, because <laughs> she... the baby throws some food at her. Mm. Rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> if I were a baby, I would do that as well. Dasha retaliates by picking up the baby and placing it into a trash can. So that's my favorite scene from this entire show, it's the best. It's so good. I love it. It's perfect. I think you are correct in this opinion. I think this is the best thing that has happened on this show. <laughs> and then when like, they keep... apart from the gay stuff, I think this is peak. And then when they keep talking in the background, you see like more and more people gathering around the baby. It's... it's so good it's really good and it's nice you know so that you're not too worried about the baby because you see that people find yes. this and are taking yeah. care of it so you yeah you're not stressed out while the scene goes on i also love that villanelle finds it absolutely hilarious that dasha does this it is it is hilarious she's like <laughs> i could continue to roleplay this character and care about this baby but this is too funny. It, it is. It is. As a person who cares about babies so much, <laughs> I find this hilarious. <laughs> and I too would laugh. <laughs> it's just such a perfect thing to do that is mean but not harmful to the baby. Exactly. It's so good. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Dasha isn't too happy with Villanelle's work, but gives her a new job in... Dun dun dun! London! And Villanelle isn't too pleased about that. She says that she's not ready, which Dasha does not understand because, in her opinion, all you need is anorak and face like cheese. I don't know what that means. I don't understand the face like cheese, but if she just said all you need is an anorak, I would be like, you get it. But she does also say. 
face like cheese. <laughs> Which cheese? <laughs> Be specific, Dasha. <laughs> Again, if anyone understands this, please contact us <laughs> at Queering Eve on Instagram or queeringeve at gmail.com. <laughs> Also, shout out to Jodie's acting when she says no to London. I thought it was great. I also just really enjoy the fact that going to London is hard for Villanelle at this point. But in the end, she does say yes to it. Meanwhile, in London, uh, specifically at Bitter Pill, Eve is hanging out with Bear. And Bear finds some bank stuff. Basically, they're looking at accounts and they seem to be coded in a way and... Ooh, it's actually a Rubik's Cube thing. Will Naya comment on this? Uh, They apparently have feelings about it. (laughs) No, I just can't believe you didn't even mention their conversation about the candy. I have a note on it. Bear offers Eve some candy. And she says no. And he says, once I start, I can't stop. And she says, you can. It's just about self-control. And he says, well, I have no self-control. And then Eve gives him this look that to me is like, oh my God, I wish I had no (laughs) (laughs) self-control. Oh, I read it as, oh, wait, I am lecturing you about self-control, but this is how I am about Villanelle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was just like, Eve, that's such a stupid thing to say. Yeah, that, of course. Um, so I have two options here. Do we just ignore that anything happens with the Rubik's Cube? No, let's not ignore <laughs> And never it. talk about it. Or do we get really angry? <laughs> okay, Eve is playing with this Rubik's Cube that was left on Kenny's desk that Kenny was writing on just before he died. So then Bear just takes this Rubik's Cube and just starts following these instructions and comes to the correct conclusion, which, first of all, you don't know that no one mixed this Rubik's Cube after Kenny died. But even if you don't know that Kenny didn't mix it after writing this down, the starting point for these instructions could be literally any position that all the Rubik's Cubes parts are in. Look, I know that only a small percentage of your viewers are gonna know how Rubik's Cubes work, right? So probably it's not really worth it to do so much work to make a scene actually work for them. But then why at all? Like, why did you go to the length of finding out how the correct notations for Rubik's Cubes are written? Like, if there was just a Rubik's Cube and no one did any research, I would be like, fine. But it was like, there's a Rubik's Cube, then there's a little gift for me, a person who knows how Rubik's Cube notation works. And then there's like some poop for me, a person (laughs) who knows how Rubik's Cubes work. Like, thanks. So your problem with this scene is actually how it is obvious that the people working on this show do not care about you. Oh, I mean, yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It would be so fun if this was fun, you know? But it was just bullshit and then it said panda. Okay, let's move on. 
Yes, let's move on to a great interaction. We get the answer, Panda, and we get a scene with now with Eve, Bear, and Jamie, and Eve is, like, prepared to tell them. So she's like, but before I go on, you have to understand that once I tell you about them, your lives are in danger. And Jamie and Bear say, don't tell us. And at the same time, Eve is already starting to talk about the 12, and it's so good. (laughs) She's like, anyway, they're called the 12. (laughs) Not even listening to them. And then bank account plot again. Yes, like why? Didn't we leave this behind? Why are we going back to the plot of season one? (laughs) So the Rubik's Cube annotations were connected to this one account in the Cayman Islands, and this account was somehow connected to Panda, right? And how this was connected to Panda is that Panda was tracking Frank which is something I don't think I ever realized in season one. Yeah, supposedly he was part of the Chinese intelligence. Now, I don't know if we knew this and talked about it, or and I just don't remember, or we did not get it. Yes, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and if I understand correctly, this account was the account that Frank was paid from. Yes. So it is actually not connected to Panda in any way. So there's that, and we cannot forget all about that. What's interesting about this account, supposedly, is that it went dormant after those payments were made to Frank, and after Frank died. But then Kenny found recently that it was active again. And what happened was that there were three transfers made in two months, amounting to 6 million euros. And then the remaining balance was moved to Geneva. So this is sadly gonna be relevant for plot later. (laughs) And now we can move on. After this scene at Bitter Pill, we move to Mo and Eve continuing this conversation. They're talking about how they can't trace this account. And then they're like, okay, but MI6 can do it. Carolyn will do it. (laughs) Then Mo gives Eve a file. And the file is who was on the hit list so far. I remember writing this down and being like, this will be explained. But it was not. (laughs) Mo also comments that he thinks that maybe Eve needs some protection. And Eve is like, lol, I had it for one episode. (laughs) And then me and Nico had a fight about it. And then the security guy left forever. Yeah, he felt awkward. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But what she actually says is... Do you have any idea what happens to people who are protected by MI6? It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) And she has the greatest laugh and she leaves. Then we see Constantine. He is coming to see Charles Kruger, who I described as man who can't speak Russian. He unlearned it so well. (laughs) (laughs) There will not be a Russian corner this week, but he says as they are toasting something that sounds like Tanasha Drutsie, which, okay, he is trying to like toast to friends, like to their friendship, but the sounds that he makes are not that. 
But he does call Constantine Kostya, though yes. he does say it like Kostya or something. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess there's some other stuff that happens here except for his Russian, right? In the whole scene, you mean? Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> Charles Kruger talks briefly about his son who is about to graduate. I really like that he comments his modern dance It's so visceral. It just feels like something a dad would not often say about his child's modern dance, and I support him. I think it's, um, what's the opposite of toxic? It's healthy masculinity. Okay. (laughs) um, What I thought is, wow, he's such a good ally to his gay son. (laughs) (laughs) And then, then, yeah, there is the plot stuff. What we find out is that somebody's been siphoning money from the Geneva account and 6 million euros has gone missing. This really confused me for a moment because what we actually are meant to realize here is that this is the account that was talked about in just the previous scene, right? But this was an account in the Cayman Islands, and after the six million were stolen, then the money was moved to Geneva. But Charles Kruger decides to call this the Geneva account. Are we meant to believe that this was the Twelve's only account, and that the Twelve have done nothing since they killed Frank? (laughs) I don't think Um. so. Chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this guy wants Constantine's help with the money, as in, can you lend me some? And Constantine says that he will make some calls. Also, the dude asks about Irina. um, (laughs) I love that, like, every friend that Constantine has ever had knows that Irina is a little shit. That's very cute to me. (laughs) The dude is like, is Irina still a little shit? And Constantine is like, yes, she's like a little shit that took a shit on a big shit. And then all the three of the shits became an enormous shit. And I did not want to remember this. Yeah, how did you? I don't know. I hated it. So then we continue to Mayfair, London. And we see Villanelle looking great getting out of a car. And we're in for another great scene. Villanelle walks into this perfume shop. There's a stern-looking dude in the shop, and he's doing his job of (laughs) mixing smells. And Villanelle, without Hilo, makes it known that she wants to smell powerful, and she wants to make people gag with it, which is great. And he does not get it, because uh-huh. he's a misogynist. Mm-hmm. So he tries to sell her some floral scents, which are not powerful. I mean, they can be. I just really don't think with what Villanelle was describing. Yeah, he also should not be using the word ladies to refer to a group of humans that includes a person who just said those words to you. But she came prepared with tons of money. Do you need to pay a sexist perfume guy extra for him to disregard the gender binary? Yeah, I think yes. I think literally yes. (laughs) There are two genders, a lady and a Roman centurion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Villanelle decides to explain to this dude exactly what she means. And she has this great and very sexy speech about being a Roman centurion meeting an old foe. 
and who in battle once hurt him greatly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but since then... <laughs> what I like about this is that she's obviously assuming that she will meet Eve, even though she's not there for Eve. And what I find interesting is that apparently she currently thinks of herself as being powerful beyond measure. Just because she's like, possibly, maybe on the way to becoming a keeper. <laughs> That's some nice positive thinking. Yeah. Yes. I also like her describing the situation between her and Eve with this metaphor. Especially since a lot of what she's describing is what happened in Rome. So by the end of this speech, the perfume guy is like, maybe something more woody? I feel like he's not good at his job. No, you're wrong. I think that's perfect. Villanelle agrees. And I also just... I don't know anything about sense. But this makes total sense to me. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm just prejudiced because of his starting off misogyny. Yeah, no, I think here he took her seriously. Because, you know, he took a pen and everything. (laughs) (laughs) And probably wrote down, like, Roman centurion wants to fuck the enemy. (laughs) Then we go to Carolyn doing her makeup, getting ready for a supposedly a date. Mm -hmm. Geraldine is with her and is very happy that Carolyn is letting people in. And Geraldine is so pleased that Carolyn says that she regrets telling her that it's a date. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Geraldine is also commenting on how Carolyn is keeping secrets, which is a healthy mother-daughter relationship to have. Then Carolyn starts telling Geraldine about all the people that she can think of who do not need intimacy. (laughs) (laughs) And then Geraldine tells Carolyn that Stalin is strictly third date. Did the two of you agree? Yes. Yes, I suppose this is a good assessment. But actually what I wanted to know was if Carolyn had some like personal stories <laughs> about Stalin. Like second second oh, hand personal then stories. Then definitely but, you first know? date, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like gossip oh, on Stalin. Oh, what a dream. Who wouldn't want to hear about that? <laughs> I would you haul after that date. <laughs> Anyway, for me, I think it's a second date topic, but I would accept first date as well. Carolyn goes to this supposed date. She is in a pub and is about to leave because she is stood up. I was wondering, watching this now, how much I believed it when I first watched it. I think I thought there was a chance she's actually going on Mm -hmm. a date. (laughs) But then... (laughs) Carolyn decides to leave the bar and walks by some dudes and recognizes one of them and greets him and says the words, I adore a coincidence. And if you didn't get it before that this was all a ploy, you should probably get it now. Also, did he get divorced because of Carolyn? I think so. I feel like that was implied. Cool. Yeah, I love that. Who hasn't, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, he invites her to get something to eat and they leave his friends behind. And they get, I guess, Chinese. It looked really good. I wanted to eat it. 
And we find out that he works at the Geneva Bank. Yes, what a coincidence. I adore a coincidence. (laughs) And then (laughs) he was just about to complain about it. But then the scene ends and we don't get to hear the gossip. How sad. And then we cut to Mo and Eve watching Carolyn have a hangover. (laughs) So the night went well, but has its consequences. Yeah, despite her hangover, she managed to retain some information that she got. Mm. The account was owned by a 92-year-old sugar beet farmer in East Anglia who died nine years ago, and now it's owned by Charles Kruger. Whom Carolyn also fucked. Yes. And Eve is extremely annoyed that people have sex when they want to (laughs) have sex. Yeah, at first I was like, is she slut-shaming Carolyn? No, she's just being jealous. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. jealous people can slut-shame. I just feel like there was a bit of a different taste to it. Also, then, just from this info that this account belonged to this dude... They suddenly figured out that this dude is the accountant for the 12. (laughs) I think Eve is just like, wait, is he the accountant for the 12? (laughs) And then no one confirms it or says anything. And then in the next scene, we're supposed to act like, yes, this was confirmed. Then we have another great scene. This episode is full of great scenes. It fills me with joy. We go to a toy store where Villanelle is walking around with some plush toys in hand, looking scared. (laughs) Specifically, she has a duck and a frog, and um, some kind of wild cat. I couldn't really tell what wild cat it was supposed to be, because its pattern was just, like, wild. (laughs) (laughs) Ambiguous. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was just, like, the wildest, most colorful tie-dye-ish pattern. It was beautiful. I want that cat. This scene is my favorite in this episode. I love it so much. It's so good. A salesperson comes up to Villanelle and gives her a pink plushy bear and suggests to her that maybe she wants to make a talking toy. And Villanelle responds by telling her, this place is psychopathic. Which I loved because, like Nina pointed out to me a few times on shows, it really very often happens that someone says something or someone is psychotic when they mean psychopathic. And um, I like that Villanelle knows the correct words, but it was also very fun because this toy store is more psychotic than psychopathic to me. Villanelle goes into a pink phone booth to record a sound for... Yes, because, of course, saying this place (laughs) is psychopathic means, yes, I will do that, thank you. Ah, so the show is trying to tell us that Villanelle is a psychopath? (laughs) No, it would never. (laughs) I love all of the things she records and then decides not to go with they are very sexy so sexy (laughs) i should have shot you in the head Mm -mm. i should have shot you in the head and watch you die Mm -mm. i can't stop thinking about you (sighs) Ah. 
this is skipping ahead, but I love that she goes with something else at the end and <sighs> just mm-hmm. so good, so good. The show at its best. Then we go to a scene that kind of stands out in this episode, I think. It's as being boring. It's <laughs> just very different from everything else that is happening. Huh. So we go to the place where Nico was staying. Eve waits, but then she's told that he discharged himself last week after doing well. So that's nice to hear. And all the info that she gets is that, I don't know, something about Poland. Cool, let's move on. Yes, let's move on to Eve on a street, which I feel like is a common scene on this Mm -hmm. show, especially in this season. She is often walking on a street looking harrowed. Eve is texting Nico, and she goes with her very normal method of sending one million texts. And or leaving one million voice messages, that's um, <laughs> what she usually goes for. And she's like, hey, are you in Poland? Hey, talk to me. Hey, call me. And then <laughs> it's like just a bunch of texts that are like, hey, why aren't you responding to me? And then there's one that says, hi again. <laughs> that could not have been sent more than like 20 minutes after the last one because she's still on her way home from the place where she was. So that's beautiful, normal, and healthy. And um, what are boundaries? Yeah. And I also find it fascinating that like we are to assume that Nico went to Poland because... He is from Poland. Because that's where his relatives live. (laughs) And Eve just does not know or have contact of any of his relatives. Like, she has no way to find out where Nico is or how, if he's doing okay or anything, other than sending him one million messages. I just believe in my heart that she does not know any of his relatives because she never bothered to meet them. That sounds plausible. I'll believe it. More importantly, this is happening on a bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and who gets on that bus? Some queers. Some random queers. Okay, that's fine by me. Would care more in a different situation, <laughs> but here is I am. Is that not what you meant? Here I am concentrating on Villanelle, who comes up to Eve smiling so confidently smugly even Mm. and Eve is completely shocked which understandable and Villanelle says hi Eve (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) yep yep she sure does that it's always so intense when they meet for the first time in each season And Mm. each time is very special in its own way. And this is special. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Eve attacks Villanelle and they fight. Before that, even, when Villanelle appears, this is an instance where the sound editing was good in this show, as opposed to (laughs) terrible. (laughs) Because... The scene goes quiet, like when suddenly you, you know, you can only see your ex-girlfriend and you can't hear anything that's happening around you, of course. But it's pretty subtle because it's just like the bus engine goes quiet and then, yes, they fight. 
And Eve actually manages to punch Villanelle, and Villanelle looks very impressed. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm not here for you, and kind of takes control and shoves Eve into a bus seat. I also loved that there were just people around that were very uncomfortable with what's happening. Too much PDA. Like, at some point, <laughs> one of them shoves the other one into someone's lap, and then there's this lady that's just trying to sit, and she has to, like, scurry away. Yeah, and you can see one of those queers just preparing a draft for a tweet that says no kink at pride. <laughs> anyway, and then Villanelle shoves Eve into an empty seat. And she gets up over her arm over neck and... <laughs> Uh, Can you, you say know what it? happened? <laughs> I'm just so gay. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> Villanelle says, Smell me, Eve. What do I smell of to you? And music starts playing, and Eve looks terrified, and then she kisses Villanelle. The kiss happens. Has happened. We have witnessed the kiss. Ah! I enjoyed it. Yep. I thought it was okay, but it was for for being a kiss. It was a lot less sexy than everything else that happens. Although mm. by kissing Villanelle, Eve says that Villanelle smells of sex. That's just my hot <laughs> take. I will accept. <laughs> and Villanelle's like. Uh, but that's not power. No, she does not say, but that's not power because as Janelle Monet has taught us, power is sex, sex is power. I remember when this episode came out and people weren't too pleased about this kiss because Eve does it because of, like, to serve a purpose, to confuse Villanelle and then be able to headbutt her. But yeah, I yeah. think... Even if that is true, at this point of Eve's coming out process, this is the <laughs> only way she can confront her feelings and do what she really wants to do. I just wanted to explain why I don't think this kiss is very sexy. One, because their eyes are open. And two, because it's uh, too short. Because I think for something to be sexy, it has to be slow and dragged out. <laughs> I, I respect that, I respect that, but I think for me watching this, it felt like this kiss went on forever because time stopped. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, Villanelle doesn't look so in control anymore, so Eve does headbutt her and Villanelle leaves the bus. <laughs> and then we see Villanelle on the street and Eve looks at her from the bus, and they look at each other, and they both look ruined. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah, Eve then sits down, and she has this messy hair, and blood is coming out of her nose, and she is in a state, let me tell you. And so am I. And somehow this is not the end of this episode. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> After this... Eve just walks into 
the bitter pill offices just in a daze. She looks like a the zombie. The music still playing <laughs> and she's walking in there and everyone just stares at her, you know, no one comes up to check if she's okay. And in the car, Mo and Carolyn are eating snacks and watching a doorway. They're eating toffee eclairs. I know eclairs to be that pastry that's made out of chew pastry, filled with something, you know, those long French mm-hmm, thingies. Mm-hmm, and I was like, mm-hmm. ooh, nice, can't wait to see that. <laughs> but no, they are just eating some candy that sticks to their entire mouths. And they... And I think here we already see a motorbike in the side mirror. Mm. And we go back to Bitter Pill where Jamie doesn't care about what's happening with Eve if it's unrelated to what's happening right now. (laughs) And Eve just gives him a look (laughs) and he's like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And she starts... So there's this assassin who works for the 12. (laughs) I don't want to talk about her. (laughs) (sighs) Back at the stakeout, Carolyn and Mo are discussing the snacks. And Carolyn is about to tell a story. But then she sees Kruger and she just hops out of the car. (laughs) Because that's smart. And he sees her and runs. Carolyn wants to follow him, but Mo sees that the dude is very slow and it's not necessary to hurry up. So then they just like slowly drive up to him and Carolyn says some mean things to him in Russian. And offers to drive him to the hospital. While still chewing the candy very loudly. And another shot of that motorbike police person. At bitter pill. <laughs> Eve says Villanelle said she wasn't here for her, so who would she be here to kill? Yeah, she's like, Jamie, help me out. Who would the Twelve want to murder aside from me? I have told you nothing about them. <laughs> what can you tell me? <laughs> when Jamie starts to work, Eve is like, ah, it's Carolyn. <laughs> She isn't the greatest team player, huh? Huh. (laughs) Yeah, the theory is that the 12 know that Carolyn has found their accountant, so that's why they are after her. And while we get this realization, we get another shot of the car where Kruger is now in the back seat and Carolyn is questioning him. About how his son does the thing with his shoulders. She does a dance move and everything. I yeah, think it's, it's glorious. Great. It's, great. it's great. Charles Kruger swapped the Stasi for HMRC and accepted a job for the 12. So the Stasi are the East Germany secret police and the HMRC. That's basically like the tax offices in the UK is what wow. I got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where he's working now. And that's... That's his official job. Okay, and the 12 are very interested in that. No, he's also working for the 12 while having this... Unrelatedly? Well, not unrelatedly, because... People are spying for the 12. But I think it works well together. Yeah, he can probably, like, hide shit in his normal job. they're both connected to money. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So our two locations kind of merge here because Eve is calling 
and Carolyn doesn't pick up, and then Eve calls Mo, who also doesn't answer, and then we see the motorcycle following, and the police officer stops them. Carolyn gets a great text. <laughs> yep. Uh, Danger vulnerable <laughs> after you <laughs> is how I read that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we get all these realizations at the same time. It's very tense. My favorite part of the text was that one double L she spelled as a double L and the other double L she spelled as a single L. That's very me. I also always spell Villanelle's name wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I do it with the I do it the other way around, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is just one L and the second one is two L's. That's how I do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, same, same. <laughs> it's not about the order, it's about being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What a tagline for this podcast though. <laughs> So Villanelle gets to the car and she shoots. And I remember watching this for the first time being really worried about who dies. Yeah. Mainly mm -hmm. I was worried for Mo. Yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So the scene blacks out and then we're back in the car and we see that Mo is okay and Carolyn is hurt but alive. Yeah, but for a few seconds there... She does not look alive and there is like some blood on her head. And I think that seeing this for the first time, I was like, wait, surely not. You really killed Carolyn? And no, they did not. And they did not. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed Kruger who is dead. With his brain on the car windows. Yeah, this season is really embracing gore. I wish it didn't. <laughs> comparatively so yeah he's dead that sucks but like at least it's not the other two <laughs> they were yeah. just about to find out something i know yeah yeah that's i don't true. remember what anymore. but like i'm sure it wasn't interesting it was just about those accounts and stuff that we don't <laughs> yeah, care about exactly. <laughs> we were just saved from boring plot <laughs> thank you villanelle Carolito, unlike us is in shock and I thought the acting was chef's kiss <laughs> mm, mm. she is a good actress so then we go to Villanelle in a hotel room perfect <laughs> and she's watching news about well basically about the baby <laughs> yes I love that we got an ending to the baby story thank you show the baby got back with its dad, and the dad was very happy to see the baby. Villanelle does not understand the emotions that people on TV are feeling. Then Carolyn comes home, and Geraldine hugs her, to which Carolyn says, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't know what exactly happens here, but I wrote, I'm annoyed with Geraldine, but I am Geraldine. <laughs> Everything that happens is that Caroline asks for a drink and Geraldine says, yeah, of course. I that's think it. mainly it's just Geraldine wanting to talk about feelings. I think that's what I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in this scene, actually, that's not what happened. Hmm. I think in this scene, she accepted that right now her mom just needs a drink and that's it. Maybe it's just the emotional support then. <laughs> <laughs> 
The unwanted emotional support. <laughs> uh, then we see Eve at a bus station. She's just like, maybe another bus with Villanelle on it will come by if I sit here long enough. I know, I know, yeah. Well, a bus comes, but she doesn't get on it. And then another fun scene is Constantine getting home, because it's that time of night to come home. <laughs> and <laughs> he just, like, rolls into his bed. He obviously sleeps just on one part of it and does not ever touch the other part. Because <laughs> he does not notice that there is literally a whole human being in his bed <laughs> until the whole human being starts screaming at him and almost gives him a heart attack, which I find <sighs> relatable. Like, I would die and also oh, yeah. pee my pants. <laughs> God, I can't even imagine that happening. That would be so terrifying. Yeah, let's Especially not. Especially <laughs> if you like live alone. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say is that Villanelle is wearing pajamas, which we will talk about in detail later. But for now, I just want to ask, are these Constantine's pajamas or did she bring them with her? I would imagine she brought them with her. They look completely new, so I think she bought them especially for this occasion. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, he's like, well, you almost killed me. I'm going back to bed. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she is not here for it. She's like, don't you want to know why I'm here? And Constantine is grumpy and says he needs to find six million in a day. And Villanelle doesn't believe in him. She also tries to casually mention that she murdered an accountant today and when that still does not get a reaction out of Constantine she just starts screaming at him which I find both infuriating and relatable <laughs> <laughs> then yeah. she asks him what kind of baby does he think she was and while she thinks she was cute Constantine doesn't agree Nope, her head was a weird shape. Like those melons that you put in a box so they come out square. <laughs> oh my god. A cube, I meant a cube. While they are having this one-sided conversation, I think Villanelle keeps playing with Constantine's hair, which is kind of cute and kind of weird also. At some point, she also wants him to smell her and to tell her what she smells like. And I love that she is a person who buys a very expensive statement perfume, gives a lot of money to be able to smell like something, and then she goes around and every person she meets, she's like, smell me, smell me, I smell like power, huh? do you feel how powerful I am? On some level, I find that relatable? Yeah, me too. Yeah. She explains that she's wearing power and to keep power she needs knowledge and by knowledge here she means that she needs to find her family so that she knows more about herself. So she asks Constantine to do it for her. Yep. <laughs> and he goes to sleep on the couch. Also, when she mentions that she killed an accountant, Constantine looks very sad about it because that was his friend. But at least he doesn't have to find the six million anymore. What yep. a gift. <laughs> then we get to the last scene, which, I mean, we've said it so many times, but this is a good scene. 
<laughs> Finally, Eve also gets to come home after yeah. everyone else <laughs> exactly. arrived home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, she looks around and something seems different. She sits on her bed, lies down, and she hears a sound. So she looks around frantically and she finds the pink teddy bear. Yes, yes. And the final message Villanelle decided to go with was, Admit it, Eve, you wish I was here. <sighs> um, I'm gonna say good choice, good choice. Yep, and Eve first does not want to admit it. She rips the Mm -hmm. Theodore bear apart to find his plastic heart and turn it off. But then she decides that she does admit it and plays it again and again and puts it to her ear and... That shot is so sexy. It is. Like just a close-up on her holding the, the heart. So good. It's so good. It's so good. It's... I feel like it's similar to the scene in the previous season when she is using the lipstick and it cuts her. Mm. This connection with Villanelle in a creepy, scary, but mm. such, so, such an exciting way. <sighs> exactly. And now this finally is the end of the episode. So, Uti? Ah, yeah! (laughs) Give it to us! In this episode of Killing Eve, we have seven outfits. Good number. It's been a while since I did this. I was really excited when it first happened and then there was nothing good. I had no more revelations, but (laughs) this time I named the outfits. (laughs) The first one I called Dream Summer Girlfriend. This is the one where she's tuning the piano. She's wearing a pink blue striped t-shirt, light jean dungarees, a colorful headscarf, and yellow sneakers with white ankle socks. I just, I think it's neat. One of those, you know, where the scenery is great and also her outfit is great Mm. and it all looks good together. Next one is when she's role-playing a mom with her mother and a baby. I call this outfit, she's not ready. (laughs) (laughs) It is a multicolor striped off-the-shoulder dress. Unfortunately, we don't see her standing up in this dress. I wish we did. but For some reason, I imagined it like floor length. Me too. For some reason, Mm -hmm. I was like completely sure it is floor length. Same. And with that, she's wearing some minimal earrings and a silver ring and her hair is in a bun i think it's so gorgeous such a beautiful outfit once again one of those outfits that fit barcelona exactly that's what i felt as well (laughs) yes yeah i love that she's wearing off the shoulder style because we don't see her in that a lot the third outfit i called the second gender Uh, So this is the one where she's buying the perfume. She's wearing black heels, but for once, it's not stilettos. She has a yellow, sort of satiny looking white leg pant, Mm -hmm. a white and black polka dot blouse that has a matching scarf, and again, some minimal earrings, and this time a ponytail. The fourth one, actually, I have no good name for. I wrote sex, but that's not a good description. (laughs) It's the gray suit. The worst suit in the world. I kind of agree, but that's also why I like it. 
She's wearing a three-piece gray suit that includes a vest, which I like. It's extremely oversized. And then it has the hoodie strings going through it. Under this, she's wearing a white t-shirt and what I choose to believe are diamond earrings and some necklace with a big pendant, heavy black shoes, and she has a messy bun. So it's like, you know, it's it's made for those Silicon Valley cool dudes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's something that the guy that Justin Timberlake plays in, <laughs> <laughs> in the social network would wear. Yeah. <laughs> I- I remember when we watched this for the first time and then we were video chatting about it and everyone hated this outfit and I felt judged because I enjoy it very much. Can you explain it to me? Like, what's the idea behind it? Why is it that huge? Why is she wearing ugly sneakers? Okay, so the shoes I have no explanation for because I never noticed them, but I just love the oversized look. I don't know. I think it looks hot. I have no I, explanation. I Because I like it fine until the very last scene when we see her standing on the street where you actually see how long the trousers are and... That sucks, man. I feel like the point of this outfit is how it clashes with the shop with the plushies. I feel like because it's so oversized, it makes it more masculine. Mm-hmm. I agree. The fifth outfit is just her police cosplay. And then the sixth outfit is the white hotel bathrobe. And then the last one is the pajamas that we only see the top part of, which is an orange t-shirt with a light blue teddy bear. Also, I have corrections. I watched the scene from the last episode again with the dress that I said was yellow and indeed it is orange. (laughs) I think corrections are my favorite part of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We should be wrong more. So, which outfit did you like best? I want to give a special shout out to the yellow pants. The cut was so good on her. But my favorite was the very colorful dress that she had on in Barcelona. Mm. Yeah. Baby scene. (laughs) Baby scene dress. (laughs) That's my runner up. My favorite actually is the first uh, outfit we see. I just love it so much. No criticisms. Perfect. Hot. I also am going with the first one because I love the colors so much. Mm. The t-shirt and the scarf and the yellow sneakers. It just all works perfectly in unison. I heard that Nina wants to do a music corner today. Yes, once again, the only person on this podcast who knows nothing about music is doing a music corner. Yes, that's how we do it! I want to talk about the song that plays during the kiss scene. It's one of those things that this show does a lot, where the song is so on the nose with its lyrics, it's basically just describing what's happening, and I love it. So this song is called The Strange Effect, It is originally by the Kinks, but the song that plays in this scene is a cover by Unloved, which is the band that does most of the Killing Eve soundtrack. The song goes, you've got this strange effect on me and I like it, and this is happening while they are kissing. 
you make my world seem bright, you make my darkness bright, oh yes, and this is when Eve is getting up after Villanelle leaves, and then when we see Villanelle outside, the song goes, strange effect on me, and I like it, and it's just very good timing. And then when we are just looking at Eve, who is completely ruined by what just happened, the lyrics go, and I like the way you kiss me, don't know if I should, but this feeling, it's love and I know it, that's why I feel good. Yeah. Which I know, like, I mean, Eve was the one that kissed Villanelle. It's not like one-to-one, blah, blah, blah. And this song does apply to Villanelle as well. But I would like to take this song as proof for this is gay. Eve (laughs) is gay. This was not just a tactic. And that's it. Thank you. That's my music corner. Alright, it's time to rate this episode. I am gonna rate this episode, but I'm a cheerleader. Whoop whoop! Yeah. Sorry, this is how I feel about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like it's a perfect (laughs) one-to-one analogy, but it's colorful, it's fun, it has some incredible scenes very funny, witty writing, but it's not 100% perfect all the time. I would say that, but I'm a cheerleader is yeah, 100% so cool. perfect yeah. all the time. Yeah. My rating is the movie The Handmaiden, because there are a lot of very sexy moments in this movie and in this episode, but the most sex thing is the least sexy one. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, the kiss and the actual sex scene in The Handmaiden. My rating is The Shoebox Project. Oh, God! <laughs> God! Yes, this is the second time uh, while rating this show that I am using a piece of media that I feel is perfect. The first time was A Portrait of Lady on Fire. Now it's The Shoebox Project. Which, if you don't know, is a fanfiction, a Wolfstar fanfic that is perfect. And Wolfstar, if you don't know, (laughs) is Remus Lupin and Sirius Black from the books Harry Potter. The reason I'm choosing this is because... They are both so good. I think Mm. I mentioned so many times during this episode (laughs) how much I enjoy it. I mean, Shoebox Project, I can't even start to talk about how much it means to me and how good it is. But the main thing is all the pining that we feel while watching Killing Eve and like the lead up and denial of gay feelings and then just waiting and waiting for the kiss and then it happens and it's... (sighs) Gay emotions insert here. Um... (laughs) Yes. So we did that, and now all that is left is to play a game. What I thought I would ask you for tonight's game is, which emotion or abstract feeling would you want to smell like? I think I would just want to smell interesting. God damn it, that was what I had in mind. Ah! Yeah, I think I would want to smell interesting, and I think maybe that actually would be a floral smell. (laughs) When I was younger, I consumed a lot of media where 
it was cool to be mysterious and stuff. And I don't really think being mysterious is cool, but maybe I would pick smelling mysterious because I feel like there is zero mystery about me. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, (laughs) at least I'd get a little bit of that. And what would that smell like? Not floral. Mm -hmm. That's all I've got. (laughs) I think I would just want to smell like relaxation. Like when you go on a vacation where you don't have to do anything or be anywhere and you can just sit in cafes all day. That's what I want to smell like. Wow, you're a genius. That is very attractive. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think this would be more of a fresh smell, Mm -hmm. but like not fresh, citrusy fresh, but like sky fresh. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. We are smart and beautiful. Yes, and we smell good. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Queering Eve. We will record another one. We release new episodes every Tuesday evening. Have a nice day, and remember, your son's graduation is next week. You know what I think? I think there should not be banks that rich people can just use to hide their money away and not pay taxes, etc. Wow, that's a hot take. <laughs> <laughs>